What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 75 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I have never had the privilege of meeting you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. You know, it has been quite a journey we've been on when this when this podcast began in the fall of 2017. Our passion was to create a movement of spiritual leadership folks that when the lights were going to turn out organizationally on their teams, in their schools, in their businesses, that their light for Christ would shine. Little did we ever believe that the world's lights would turn out. All across the world, this pandemic has hit and struck and moved people in. And you know what I've watched? I've watched people shine. I've watched pastors I've watched business leaders. I've watched educational leaders and government leaders and healthcare leaders rise to the challenge, pivot on a dime, recreate themselves, rebrand themselves, and roll right back out and keep making a difference for the Lord. And what an amazing thing it has been to watch. It is so sad to see the news and the deaths and the sicknesses and the questions we all have, and we all have them. But it has also been equally encouraging to see all those that are out there that are making a difference for something bigger than them. Man, it means means a ton to get to watch it. It encourages me. And I hope in some small way this podcast has been an encouragement to you to be that kind of leader in the place that God has put you I received a review on iTunes, and the review said, it's like Starbucks. Mike takes his passion for leadership, brings it into a fun conversation with some of the best leaders of today, as well as introducing us to people and stories that are life-changing, though not always known through a platform. Take the time to make, and this is what I love, new friends through Lynch with a Leader. And I'm so thrilled that's how you feel, because that's how I feel about you. It's a lot of friends sitting around, listening in to these incredible people who've done unbelievable things and learning from them. You know, I've always imagined every time I record an episode, I'm sticking a mic down at a lunch with somebody and everybody gets to listen in. And that you consider yourself a friend means the world. And I hope we have lots of new friends. If you don't subscribe to this, man, go to iTunes, Stitcher, or one of your favorite podcast sites. Subscribe. It it really helps us get information out to you about upcoming episodes and maybe some new things that we're working on in the background during this new season that we're all in. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes. It does help us. It helps other people that may not know about spiritual leadership through Lynch with a Leader, find their way to us. Well, today I made a new friend. 
this is a gentleman that I had heard about, not only heard about, I had listened to him so many times. His name is Brad Lominick. Brad was a major, major, major part of the Catalyst movement during those early years, the Catalyst podcast, when nobody was doing podcasts, Brad and his team were knocking them out with Malcolm Gladwell, Simon Sinek, Rick Warren, Dave Ramsey. Unbelievable. His book, H3 Leadership, incredible. But what I came to find out, find out during this interview is Brad, as amazing as he is at a, being a leader and a thinker, and I think that's really one of his his legacies he's leaving, is his ability to think outside the box. He's an incredibly humble, kind, genuine person, and I was blown away by Brad Lominick. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're in your new normal. There you are at your home office. Maybe you went out to ride to grab a bite to eat. You're sitting in a drive-thru or you're running another essential trip somewhere. But this is a conversation you're going to want to pull up a chair and listen into. So without further ado, I want you to listen in to my time with my new friend, the great Brad Lominick. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It means a ton to have you, buddy. Mike, I'm honored, man. Lynch with a Leader, what a great name. It's it's so it's uh, so unique, isn't it? We we replaced the U with an I, so <laughs> there's something in that too, like the whole idea of the U with an yeah. I. You know what's so funny is I have a Lynch with a Leader as well that we host here at the church. Uh, it works great, go. man. Can't screw up. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, man, take me back, man. I've known about you, Brad, for years growing up here in Atlanta, knowing all the work you were doing in leadership. But before you got to Atlanta, you grew up out west in Oklahoma. Take me back to Oklahoma, Brad. Talk to me about you growing up. Well, you know, small town uh, outside of Tulsa and in a small town, you know, you you, you do, you do sort of what everybody else does. And so, uh, faith, family, football, I don't, I'm not sure which order, uh, <laughs> depending on the season. Right? That's right. But, but that was really the, uh, that was really the, I would say the, the triple threat of, of life. And, um, dad was a high school football coach. So I was, I was inserted into the fabric of, of, uh, Oklahoma football, high school football at an early age. And, and was, you know, involved in lots of sports. And I think there was something in me, Mike, that um, when it comes to leadership, you know, people ask the question of, are, are leaders born or are they made? And for me, I felt like there was just this, this DNA that got it put in me to lead. And it, it showed up early, like in kindergarten, you know, I remember, I remember the first couple of days of kindergarten, I'm, I'm learning all the students' names in my class. Uh, I'm doing trade deals in the cafeteria day two. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to influence the teacher to allow us to have 15 extra minutes of recess time. There was just this, there was just a spirit in me of, Hey, Brad, like be willing to step out. And of course, all the things of running for, for class president and student council. And, you know, all those pieces were part of the fabric for me of growing up, not just in a small town and a small school, but, but also just that idea of, um, this is, this is on me. Like I, I don't, I can't, I can't sit back and, and watch things happen. I have to be part of changing things. 
And, and nobody ever told me to do that. Like it wasn't some, you know, class I went through at four and somebody said, Hey, Brad, we want you to figure out how to be a leader. And, you know, so part of a, of a church growing up, um, the, uh, the first church of God, Bristow, Oklahoma, there's, they're still, they're still crushing it in Bristow. And youth group was a big part for me of my life. Um, you know, the faith early days, baptized at an early age, God got a hold of my heart really young. And, you know, so that was this huge foundation for me of then stepping into college at University of Oklahoma. And, you know, for all of us, I mean, everybody listening, that you can remember that moment when you stepped into an environment where you went, oh my gosh, like, I'm not ready for this. Mm. And going from a town of 4,000 to a, to a uh, you know, a, to a, a campus of 20,000 plus was a massive adjustment. But um, that, that was also just this time of, of learning how to, to navigate faith and life. And what is this foundation that's been put in me? How is it actually going to get played out now? where family's not around, you know, you're on your own for the first time. And, and, uh, and there was still that leadership thing in me, you know, in college. And so that was the first 20 years, I would say, being in the state of Oklahoma, but also just, just being in an environment where uh, there was this deep concrete slabs of, of faith foundation that hopefully will help me, you know, go on a 90 year journey and actually be able to finish the race well. Mm. you're you're growing in that leadership and growing in that faith was there anybody in those first 20 formative years you looked at and you didn't technically say I want to be like them but you go god there's stuff about them I really like were there any of those those folks in your life sure I mean youth pastor um I had a couple of different youth pastors in in middle school and high school and and they were definitely people in my life that um, influenced me and um, pastor as well, like the senior pastor of our church um, coaches definitely did. I mean, some teachers definitely did that. There were a couple of teachers that uh, forced me because they saw something in me. They forced me to do more work than the rest of the class. And at the time you're like, come on, seriously, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm making straight A's and all that. But they, they said, no, Brad, that's not good enough. Like, you can coast. I'm not going to let you coast. And I remember even my senior English teacher, uh, Mrs. Stevens, I can still see her. And she made me write this incredibly difficult paper on the, the leadership uh, qualities of Bobby Knight. uh, Who else? It was like uh, uh, Machiavelli. And I think, I think Truman. And, and it was like the, the hardest thing I'd ever done. But yet I look back on that and when she pushed me, when she said, it's not good enough, Brad, like you have to set your own standard. If you, Mm. you only um, sort of limit yourself to the standard that I'm setting for this class, then that's not good enough. And it was, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it was this incredibly powerful lesson of we each have to set our own personal standard of excellence. We we can't rely on the student, the, the, the curriculum or the state of Oklahoma requirement or the staff handbook, you know, or the, the manual that we got when we showed up at that company that says, here's the minimum required, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that's not good enough. And a lot of us, we, we settle for that. But for me, that was just such a great lesson of, um, I have to be in charge of my growth. I have to actually be the one that pushes myself 
to continually get better. Cause if I'm just beating the people around me, I mean, that's okay, but that's not good enough. That's so good. I know you talk a lot. And we'll get into your book here in a few minutes, your most recent book. You talk a lot about habits. Do you yeah. think in those years, that's where some of those habits, those good habits in you got formed? I think so. I mean, there's definitely wiring in all of us that is, that is inherent. It's, it's DNA. It's, you know, it's everybody's into the Enneagram right now. Uh, everybody's taking, you know, strengths finders or Myers-Briggs or disc. And those are helpful because what that shows is it shows the things that God has, has wired us right. deeply in us that is unchanging. And so for me, a sense of focus was always there and always has been like, I can, I can outfocus somebody most of the time in terms of if I need to study for a test, you know, I, I, I can, I can win that race. Um, but there was also a habit for me of, I would, I would call it like this, like I said, in kindergarten, I'm doing trade deals. There was this, there was this habit of connectivity and a habit of, of relational um, uh, collaboration that, that I, I started figuring out like how to get things done through other people. Mm. And mm. man, I, I would probably say that was, and I didn't know it at the time. That's, that's, yeah. you know, so much of what we learn early in our years, formative years, we don't know what the lesson is, but um, I would say now looking back, that was, and I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Well, I'm still trying to navigate the, the, the power of when I can actually put people together and build bridges and create collaboration and form partnerships and be a connector all of a sudden, like my influence grows exponentially. And, and most of us, we, we think just the opposite. We think, well, if, if I'm in charge of it and I have the power to control it, then, you know, it's going to take me further. And that's limiting. It, there's only a certain level. So that was, you know, the, whether I was, whether that was through football and being a captain, whether it was through student council, whether it was through the English class, whether it was through, you know, working with the community to solve some problem as a, as a, you know, as a senior in high school, mm. working with the youth group, like it, all of those lessons for me were the habit probably was um, most importantly that um, I've got to figure out how to be a person who gets things done through others. Mm. That's so good. So good because that's something that carries on the rest of life. And that's the beauty of yes. it is you don't even know, you, you don't know what you don't know. Disc. When you're 16, <laughs> right. I mean, you don't understand it. You don't know the Enneagram then, but all those things were apparent in your life. When did you get somebody who, and you, so Brad goes to the university of Oklahoma, you get walk into the adult world. When did gas get started pouring on that fire? So you've got this fire that's burning in you. You've watched, you've had great mentors, you've had great coaches, you've had great people that poured into you. When did the, the gas of leadership, oh my gosh, I can really do something with this. When did that begin to come about in your life? Yeah, I mean, it was probably in, I would say in school through, through being, you know, a captain and also uh, of, of sports teams. Good. That's, that's typically where we start to see it. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time um, it was also in, in, you know, the student council environments of school. Uh, it was during college, some with, with things I was involved with. I mean, I ran for, I ran for the, you know, president of our fraternity lost by one vote. I, I ran for, I ran for the, uh, the president of the, of like the governing body of the university of Oklahoma. 
and I lost by way more than one vote. I mean, it was like a landslide that I got crushed in. Um, but I would say that the first job I had out of college, which was I worked on a ranch in Colorado. I love that. I love in, that. In the middle of nowhere. And there was this gentleman named Bob Foster who was uh, at the time in his 70s, and he had started this place. He was, he was uh, you know, a patriarch of the faith. He was friends with Billy Graham and Chuck Swindoll and Howard Hendricks and Cliff Barrows and, uh, I mean, all the Dawson Troutman who started the Navigators, all yeah. these amazing men of God. And, and he, um, for some reason, he took an interest in me. And, and I was 23, and he's in his 70s, and he started, he started pouring into me. And I saw both the power of mentoring mm. Uh, but I also saw the power of of passing on like all these lessons of life. We we did scripture memory together. Wow. I mean, we did like the five finger scripture memory uh, that the navigators, you know, sort of made famous. We had the little cards and, but he was just, you know, he's just teaching me how to be both a man of God as well as a leader. And um, that was the first time that, that I, not only did I see that, that I felt like there was something on me, but also I saw it in him. Mm. I think that's such an important lesson is when, when you see it in somebody else who's three or four steps ahead of you, then you start to get a picture of what, what legacy and leadership and influence and impact can look like over a 50 or 60 year run. Um, and so that was probably the, that was probably the most, I would say like a poignant place in my, in my early years, especially in my twenties of being impacted, but also having a glimpse of what could be. You know, you, you wonder you graduate Oklahoma and you reverse the story and Brad gets thrown in corporate America or Brad goes into a massive Christian ministry somewhere and you hadn't had that development. What do you yes. think would be different about you if you hadn't have gone? Because I, I remember one of your quotes that I love so much is the best leadership moments will probably be the ones that nobody sees. Yes. And I bet there was a lot of great leadership moments nobody was a witness to but you. What would have yeah. been different about you if you'd have just been thrown out into the world and not had that experience? Well, I think, I think I'd learned patience. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I learned the power of, of um, being faithful to the assignment, regardless of who's watching, like you're saying. And, you know, I remember Mike, like the, at some point working at this ranch and I, you know, I was a, I was that kid, like many of us are who are listening. Like I was the go getter. I was ambitious. I wanted to achieve and all of the awards in high school, you know, all the awards in college, like big men on campus, um, wanted to go to law school, wanted to be a senator, had had this massive sort of vision that I thought was the plan for my life. Mm-hmm. Now I'm put in the middle of this, you know, of this ranch in Colorado, and I'm 24, and I'm scooping a lot of poop. <laughs> right? I mean, that that's yep. like, that's when you, when you have 150 horses running around a place uh, that, you know, you got to keep the place clean because it's a, it's a five diamond high end guest ranch. You, you learn the power of both patience, perseverance, and being okay with crushing your current assignment, regardless of anybody's watching, if anybody notices. And so I was watching all my friends, you know, what felt like I was getting behind. They, they were going to, you know, work for the, the big companies in Dallas. So they were, they were starting their own organizations and they were joining the big law firm or whatever it was. And I'm, I'm feeling like, well, I'm stuck. What God, what are you trying to do with me in this season? And just that sense of, no, the, the way you scoop the poop, Brad, like the, 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 the quality with which you, you know, clean this place and you create it, you create a, uh, an environment for, 
for me to do work in people's lives, um, that, that is the most important season of assignment you're in. So without that, I think I probably would have tried to rush the process. Mm. I probably would have tried to, you know, elevate myself or get ahead or, you know, pursue the things that, which probably the best way to describe it would be shortcutting yeah. the, 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 um, the journey. And, you know, so many of us, especially today, I mean, this is one of the greatest threats to our leadership, especially in leading the next generation is that they have such a mindset and this is not a bad thing, but the expectation today is way more than I ever had it or you ever had it. That the expectation today is I'm 24, put me in the game and I'm actually, I should be in charge. I should actually like be running this place. And I love that spirit, but I also know that there has to be um, things in our lives that teach us, Hey, you're not there yet, but you, you still have to act like you're there. You still have to lead like you're there. You still have to pray and show up and dress and speak and and learn like you're already in that place way before you are. So I, I think the the term I like to, you know, going back to sports, it's like I had to practice like I was a starter, mm. um, even though I was like, you know, third team JV <laughs> and nobody, nobody cared. Like nobody was showing up, like looking at my film. Um, but that's the, that was the lesson I think for me in my twenties that, stands out the most you know you you can't find anybody in scripture that accomplished anything great that didn't go through a season of waiting they're just not there joseph abraham moses david they all they all had their paul they all had their seasons of waiting what do you think is the greatest thing god does in our lives in those seasons what do you think while you're you've you've had a faith now you're now you're out in the mountains of Colorado scooping poop, yeah. um, waiting on the next assignment, looking forward to the next assignment. What do you think is the biggest thing that God did in you spiritually during that season of waiting? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and a great thought. Like, there there really are no, I don't think there is anyone scripturally, like you're saying, but but the leaders who I admire and the ones who I think really carry a lot of, of weight of responsibility and they steward something. Well, they had those seasons, but for me, it was, um, I was developing, I was developing both a work theology, um, as well as I was developing my own spiritual disciplines. So, you know, five years of my early twenties were spent in a place that had no internet, no, like we, we were an hour from the closest town. I mean, I, there, there was this forced, almost, um, almost being, you know, truly in the wilderness mm. sense that I had to like dive deep into God's word. And, and I feel like I got a master's degree, both in spiritual, just spiritual life and following Jesus and the, you know, the, the, the roots of what I think so many of us want for our kids or for, you know, the people on our teams um, but I also developed that work theology, which was, which was, you know what, like my work does matter. Mm. Like the way I scoop the poop, the way I clean this place, the way I, I am, um, the way I'm serving guests, the way I build bridges of friendship, you know, the, the excellence with which we put on what we do here, the product we create, all of that for me was, was a huge, again, like master master's degree in what it means to walk out into the you know, culture in general, because this place was not a Christian ranch. Like it, it wasn't like a ministry. 
even though it was, it, it was to the people who were coming, most of them were not believers. Mm. And so they're showing up to a place that has this undertone, but it wasn't like promoted as, hey, come and experience like a Christian guest ranch. It was just, we're a family driven guest ranch. You're going to come and have a great time. And I, I, I also learned not just work theology, but I learned like evangelism because I'm taking out a fortune 50 CEO on the back of a horse. And I'm understanding now what it looks like to, you know, to, to love people till they ask why to Mm. serve them until they demand an explanation. I mean, Mike, so many times, again, just by, you know, by day three of people being at this, this ranch, they would come up to me and they'd say, all right, what's going on here? Are you guys a cult? Like (laughs) you're, because these are people who've been to the Ritz, they've been to yep. Club Med, they've been to every nice environment in the world, and they've never had 20-somethings, college-age students, serve them with, with such a level of excellence and learn their names and learn their kids' names and be really interested in who they are. And, and so, man, that was a huge piece for me of being able to, to what I watched John Maxwell do and still, do, still does of walking into the public square with something that people really need or they think they need, but then really delivering what they really need, you know, at some point in terms of, Hey, I've got some leadership stuff for you, but by the way, like I've got some, I've got some like Holy spirit, Jesus gospel centered uh, things that I want to bring to the table for you. And, and, and being able to do that with, with, I think a, um, a sense of fluency in both. I, I understand the, the, the faith I have, but I also understand like what it looks like to be again, great at what I do. And you know, that, that's a, man, that was a huge piece for me to have, to be able to carry the wall street journal in one hand and scriptures in the other. Golly. I feel like I could do both at the same time. That's gold. That is, that is gold. You know, in those seasons of waiting, you know, now you've got the rear view mirror, you're looking back and, and you're not in it while you were in that season, because I know we've got a lot of people listening that may be uh, the associate pastor. They may be the uh, assistant principal. They may be the assistant coach and they're waiting on their break and it's getting long and it's getting frustrating. And you're wondering, did God, did God leave me on this ranch scooping poop for the rest of my life? Am I being left here? Was there a crisis of belief that you went through where you were like, okay, God, okay, I think I've learned everything I need to learn. I'm ready for, I'm ready for my promotion. Did you go through some of that during that season? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was watching people who were friends who I felt like were getting ahead of me, even though that was a false dichotomy. Yeah. Um, I was watching, you know, uh, just the sense of that. I felt like I was falling behind. And um, I th- again, I think the lesson for me was that, that now looking back at it, um, was, you know what, like Brad, part of your stewardship, if you're not in charge or you're the second chair or nobody knows who you are, or you're, like you said, the assistant principal or the assistant to the assistant to the assistant principal is, is, um, be really faithful with where you are, because that is ultimately the best way for you to have an opportunity to go to the next level. And so many of us think, well, the way I get to the next level is that I have to like strive and I have to, you know, promote, promote myself and I have to figure out how to brown nose or I have to, I have to figure out how the system works. But I think this, the best system again, for, 
for, for finally getting to the place where you feel like is the ultimate expression of your gifts is actually to use your gifts in the place where you are right now. And that's hard. I mean, I, that, that sounds great on a poster, but it's hard to do when you're in the middle of it. And, right. you know, but, but again, like the people we want to promote, the people you and I have promoted over the years, the people that you, if I ask you, Mike, who on your team right now are the all-stars who, who are the standouts? Who are the linchpins? You would know. And the reason they are is because they're doing whatever they've been assigned to do right now. That's right. With, with incredible amounts of excellence and stewardship. So that's the lesson for me that I keep, I keep plugging on and banging the drum on is, you know, just go crush that current assignment and the, and the rest will take care of itself. That's exactly right. If you, if you hang in there, if you'll hang in there, yes. it will take care of itself. Cause I remember, so I'm a, I'm a young leader. I like remembering myself as a young leader back in the day here in Atlanta. And there's this crazy movement called catalyst that's just sort of taking over the world. And probably the catalyst podcast is the very first podcast I ever listened to. I mean, that really was sort of y'all were y'all were y'all were pioneers in the pod, podcast market. And of course, with it being here in Atlanta, I was at all of the early days catalyst. Oh, and yeah. I'm thinking, man, Brad Lominick is like, he is like a shooting star. This guy came out of nowhere. <laughs> I didn't know that I didn't know what you'd been doing before this course. In our minds, I'm like, God, I'm just a youth pastor, man. Nobody even knows who I am over here. Here's this guy just soaring. As you look back during that catalyst movement, what was your favorite part about it? You know, this great movement of gathering Christian leaders here in Atlanta, it just, it, it just blew up. What was the best part of that for you? Well, there's, I mean, there's definitely some memories of, of, you know, the, the moments that were so, that were so powerful. I mean, the Bill Bright praying Mm -hmm. over us in, in the, the, I think that was the first year, um, you know, the, the Howard Hendricks talk that was just like, so convicting the, you know, the first time we had Malcolm Gladwell and Malcolm Gladwell was like this, who is this guy? Um, you know, the, the, I think, I think the, the, the people we got to the leaders, we, we got to introduce to our community that no one knew. So I I feel like in some ways we got to be this talent scout um, you know, for the, for the, for the young next generation of, of Christian leaders, not just to bring them voices like a, like a Malcolm Gladwell or a Simon Sinek or those, but also like to, to uncover and give a platform to some voices in the church who nobody knew yet. Mm-hmm. Um, or some voices that were social entrepreneurs, you know, that were doing really cool things that nobody knew yet. So that's probably the thing that I look back and feel really proud of, uh, the number of things, but that would be one of them. I mean, the, I think Mike, the, the, the people that would come up to me at the events and say, Hey Brad, I'm, I'm 29. I'm in Iowa. You know, I'm a, I'm a student pastor about to step into a lead pastor role or, you know, I'm, I'm from Kansas and I, I want to start a, a, a nonprofit to focus on homeless homelessness issues in our city. And thank you for, Thank you for actually speaking my language and giving me a place to feel like I have a community. I mean, th- those were, those were priceless. Like the, 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 the sense that we were actually moving the needle for people and for leaders all around the country. Um, and then of course there's just the fun stuff that we did. I mean, we broke world records and 
we shot people out of cannons and, you know, we, we did things that I think at the time were, were innovative. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's innovative anymore. I mean, um, so much of like, of the, the new conference is, is hey, a little less hype and a little more hope. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the, 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 the move now, yep. but we always wanted to try to be uh, somewhat cutting edge and push the envelope. And we, here's the other thing, Mike, you know, this, like we, we brought in voices that we didn't even necessarily, that not everybody agreed with. That's right. And part of that was that we were trying to prove, Hey, it's okay. If we, if we hear from people and actually you can learn from people that you may not agree on every issue in the same way. And that's part of what it looks like to, you know, be a collaborative leader and be a catalyst is that you're, you know, you're, you're able to, to work with people that, that you disagree with, or that you might look at things in a different way. So those are all pieces of that, man. But here, you know, the other piece, which going back to the the previous question that you just, you, I think God just reminded me of this. and, And I think this will be encouraging for people is like my seasons, my seasons, never made sense for the next season. <laughs> right. I mean, I was a, I was a, like a history major and then I went to work on a ranch and then I met some guys who were, you know, were doing management consulting and I connected to them and then they connected me to John Maxwell. And then I got involved in conferences and knew nothing about putting on conferences. So the the thing you saw, or you listened to at the Cal's podcast and you're like this Lominate guy, where'd he come from? I mean, truly like, the, the, the things that I've done have never connected the, what I've done yep. didn't yep. connect, but here's what did the who, I yep. mean, Jim Collins calls it the who luck. And I would call it like the, the, you know, the, it's not, it is luck, but it's also intentionality around your who. That's right. So when I look at my seasons, the who I've been connected to the Bob Foster's, the John Maxwell's that those are the, those are the reasons that I got opportunities. I got around some people who made me better, but also I would have said, I don't care what I'm doing. I just want to be around that person. Like I want to be on their team and I'll, we'll figure out something that I can work on. That's so good. You know, there was an old pastor and we use this a lot on here. His name was Ron Dunn and Ron used to say, God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences. And when you're yep. going through those experiences, the people are never wasted either the connections, the relationships, the friendships, the all those things that got brokered that ended up being what we all saw as catalyst and what I would say definitely qualify as a movement in this generation and that lifeline that it was to guys in Iowa and guys in Kennesaw. I mean, it, you know, as close as I was to the whole thing, there's times you're out there, you're by yourself. You and I, before we got on today, you know, we've, we've been around the earth long enough to remember when you had to order things by mail and they <laughs> got right. shipped once a month and yeah. you paid for the CD and getting, getting defining moments or getting enjoy life club was gold. Yeah. You know, there was no, you know, now you got goobers like me doing podcasts back then. It just didn't exist. So you throw catalyst podcast out. Now you're like, Oh man, this is, this is groundbreaking. How did you know you guys are soaring how did you know it was time for you to walk away? Oh gosh. Well, that you go, all right, it's time for me to move on to what God has next. Yeah. By the way, shout out to Ken Coleman yes. uh, for the, for the Catalyst podcast that he and I, oh you know, the, the, the horrible excuse of broadcasting that we like to call ourselves <laughs> back in the day. Uh, so, you know, I, I, there's, there's so many pieces to that. How do you know when it's time to leave or how do you know, you know, when you, when you need to step out, 
I mean, part of it was I turned 40 and, and at that point, um, I had become in some ways what we were rebelling against when we started Catalyst, you know, I mean, we, we weren't against older leaders. We weren't like anti, but we said when we started it, Hey, this is going to be for the next generation. It's going to be led by the next generation. So when I turned 40, I kind of looked around and thought, wait, I'm that guy now. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that, um, and, and here's what happens. I was at my peak. Like I was peaking right. at 40. Like I'm, I'm, man, I'm crushing it. I'm, and, but here's what we have to know as leaders is that, is that, uh, part of our job, well, not just part of it, a huge part of our job is that we're creating succession and transition at every level, at every position. So if I'm the youth pastor, I'm looking for the next youth pastor. If I'm the, if I'm the assistant coach, if I'm, you know, defensive line coach, I'm trying to find that next defensive line coach that I can raise up. And at some point you, you actually end up sort of removing yourself from the, you know, from the, from the, sort of the hierarchy. Yep. Um, and that's okay. Like that's part of what we do as leaders. We don't, we don't get to the top of the mountain and then go, all right, this is a great view, but nobody else can come up here. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to put in barriers and gates and I'm going to have people that will keep everybody else down because yep. this is my view now. And, and I worked hard to get here. So no, that's like Maxwell says it this way. He says, sometimes you don't even get to go to the top of Mount of the mountain. You have to stop and push everybody else up. That's right. And so that was, I learned that from John. I mean, you know, he, 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 he modeled that to me in terms of, uh, Brad, don't ever get to that place where, where now you are becoming a barrier to this thing growing. And, you know, and that's not everybody's story because people will say, well, Brad, are you telling me that like, I have to just exit stage right as soon as I get to the CEO office? No. This, this is my story. Yeah, that's um, right. But I also just saw some things, Mike, for me that o- that I wanted to go do and be part of and have more time and energy to work on that were going to distract me from leading a movement like Catalyst. And so I looked around and thought, you know what? Um, I think it's time for me to just step into a different seat on the bus. And here's what happened. Nothing. Like, nobody cared. I mean, really, at the end of the day, like the average person that came to Catalyst or was involved with it, they were like, Brad, are you still running it? No, I, I, I stepped out a few months ago and they're like, oh, OK, great. I mean, it wasn't like breaking news and everybody, you know, we all kind of we all kind of thought, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a big deal. And, and I, I want to pause in that for a second, because I think in every leader's brain, they feel that way. If I am yes. not in my chair, you got it. I, I did it they moved on did that hit you hard oh it hit that, me incredibly hard yeah because because here's what happens here's what happened to me i had to fight and struggle with identity ooh man you know like cuz here's what had happened over the years over a decade um i became callus brad right i mean callus brad i love callus brad he got invited to the cool things he got invited to the white house and everybody wanted him to like be on their podcast and, and, you know, like that was okay, but that is a, that becomes toxic when all of a sudden now, am I done? Like, am, am I just put me out to pasture if I, if I move on? And this is, this is such a massive issue for all of us when we lead something, especially if we help start it or we've been 
leading it or part of it for a long time, it's then, okay, now what happens? And that's where I had to realign myself with a proper framework of identity, calling, and assignment. And, and that's, that's just to dive into that a little bit, you know, identity is obviously unchanging, but it doesn't, it doesn't include what I do. That's right. Just simply who I am. Um, calling is the why you're here. And my calling, really, my personal calling is to influence the influencers. That, that's sort of the, the, the phrase or statement. And there's other pieces underneath the, the hood of that. But in general, it's just influence the influencers. But my calling was not or is not or was not ever to lead Catalyst. That's right. That was an assignment. That was like a chapter of the book. Um, but what happened was, is my assignment was leading Catalyst. My calling had become leading Catalyst and my identity had become leading Catalyst. Yeah. And and think of the, the professional athlete. You know, this is it's a great way to, to help a, a professional athlete. You know, the, the major league baseball player who's since age five has been known for throwing a ball, hitting a ball, which is awesome. But what happens at 32 when your arm gives out and you've been a five-time, you know, gold glove, but now what happens that you're out of the, out of the league? Well, everything in you is now having to re-navigate this issue. That's right. Identity calling an assignment compared to, hey, my identity was never to be a baseball player. My calling actually was never to be a baseball player. I had an assignment for a season and, you know, that it's the chapter of the book. So. Um, for me, it was really hard. I had to have a person who helped me navigate that. Like we actually had a, uh, in 2014, we had this, I was in London. This person lives in London who was helping me navigate this, you know, stepping away from leading a movement like Catalyst. And we had a day where we had a ceremony next to the Thames River in London of killing Catalyst Brad. Wow. We actually, we actually like shot him in the head. Holy cow. And, and I was kind of like, this is goofy. This is, you know, but it was so helpful, Mike, for me to be able to say, okay, I'm celebrating that season, but we're moving on. Mm. We have to move on because here's what happens. We've all seen it. If not, then I will spend the rest of my life toxic and looking for anyone and everyone to say to me, Brad, man, when you were leading it, that's right. It was so much better. Yep. And that feeds like all this toxic energy in my soul compared to, I want to be the biggest fan of it because I helped build it, but I want to see it go way beyond me. I want to see it like um, have way greater impact than I ever was able to lead it into. But that is a massive issue for most of us. You know, think of the high school quarterback. That's right. Who is 23 still wearing their letter jacket. That's right. And going back to practice and saying, Hey guys, can I run the scout team? Um, Cause I need to have a glory day again. Yeah. Compared to you're looking at this 23 year old going, man, you're a creeper. Come on, like move on in life, like m move on. You got other things to do. You got a new season of assignment to step into, but, but we, we usually find the, the, the seasons of assignment that define us the most incorrectly. And then we live all of our days sort of reverting back to that compared to, no, there's something else I need to move to. There's something else only I can do. And so I went from 
from you know gathering thousands to, to be you know sort of being in the public eye to now I gather tens and I'm more in the shadows. But but that doesn't mean I went from like the A team to JV. That's right. Uh, and and bigger doesn't always mean that I'm more impactful. I don't I don't have to go from something big to something bigger. I can go from something big to something small as long as it's still allowing me to to have the most impact in the in the season I'm in. That is that is Brad that if if we didn't hit anything else today that is where so many leaders live because gosh I've been at North Star for 22 years. You know, I'm 50 now, you know, that's, we were at North Star, I was 28. Yeah. So the 50 year old Mike, 28 year old Mike, well, now North Stars, you know, you walk around this area, that's how people know you. That's how people in, in making sure that that doesn't latch onto you in your heart is, is a big deal, man. That is, that's a good yeah. word in the, I love the assignment piece. I love how you talked about that assignment that you had was for that season. It was yeah. this. Now the assignment for this season is leading groups of tens, pouring into those influencers of influencers and doing it in groups of 10 and then taking all your experience, putting it in a book, you know, your H three book, um, humble, hungry hustle, what led you to write that was what was that what was the the catalytic moment in your heart where you're like i gotta put this on paper and get this out to the yeah. masses what 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 it sort of drove that for you it was that it was that season of transition mm. because um there was all of that stirring in me but i also um and i write about this pretty openly like i had i had, I had actually become a leader i didn't like like I had actually become a leader that, that when I look back, I thought I'm not really healthy. Like that I wouldn't want to follow me, but, but we were also open to the right. Like we were as an organization, you know, and so that the idea that you can be an, an unhealthy leader leading a healthy organization is true. I mean, but, but that can't last very long. So the lessons in age three are really from that season of transition of stepping out of leading catalyst and taking a sabbatical that that's really how the book opens is yep. that moment, you know, sort of wrestling with that question of, is it time to move on? But the, the H three principle is something for me that's been true for 20 years. I mean, it's, it's been my leadership mantra like this. I, when, when interns would show up at catalyst for all those years, you know, and they want to change the world and they're like, all right, Brad, just boil it down. You know, what, 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 what do you, what do you want me to do? And my, my answer was always, I want you to be humble, stay hungry and always hustle. Like that was always kind of my answer. And so those three legs of the stool, I feel like are, are the framework. Um, just like identity calling and assignment is your yep. kind of internal framework. I think the external framework is, is the humble, hungry and hustle. And it's funny because Pat Lincioni, who is a friend and an amazing author and speaker and leadership voice, you know, he, his book, ideal team player, yep. it's humble, hungry, smart. But it's still that same principle of sort of you got to, you know, you got to have all three legs of the stool to be able to navigate um, life and leadership. And we know a lot of people, you and I both, like we would, we could describe somebody who has a lot of hustle, but no humility. That's right. And so it's all about them. They're the center of the story. Every time you are with them, all they talk about is them. Um, they're, they're just trying to get ahead. And that's, you know, that. We, we know what that looks like. Then you know the leader who's humble, 
who understands it's not about me and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to have a bigger picture, but I don't do anything. Yep. Like I'm not willing to work hard. I'm not willing to, to um, stay late. I'm not, I'm not a collaborator. I'm not generous. I'm, I'm actually, you know, I don't have a lot of margin in my life. So you, you have to have all of these, the three of these to really like be a true leader, I think. Which is the one that has been the one you've had to work on most as a leader, as you look at your journey, even where you're at now, this season, this assignment that you're in now, which of these three, these three, do you have to keep in front of you most to go? I got to keep this. These, these two are probably always going to be there. They're just part of my DNA. This one, I've got to really keep in check. What would you say? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think it, I think it's, it's parts of, of a couple of them. So I would say the, um, the, the piece of humility that is centered around centered around faith. Um, like, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm passionate about following Jesus, but I also, because I'm so driven, I can do things in my own strength. So I have to be intentional about, about the spiritual disciplines. And that that's one of those that, uh, so I, I wouldn't say humble is the hardest because everybody kind of usually says that. And then it's like, you know, hashtag fake humility, um, <laughs> you know, right. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to the hustle piece, like I'll, I, I don't have any problem outworking people. Like I'll, you know, I, that's, that, that's naturally born in me. What I do have to always be aware of is Sabbath and margin and, so um, and, and, and people like Brad, that's in the hustle category. Yes. Yes. Sabbath margin rest are actually part of your hustle because if you, if you'll crush it with your, with your margin, creating margin in your life, it, that's equally as important as you willing, being willing to stay late and work hard and, and have a standard of excellence. And, you know, that's, that's a big question for a lot of people because they, they start to squeeze that margin out. And then now they're stressed, they're anxious, they're frustrated because margin actually gives us opportunities, right? I mean, financial margin gives you opportunities, but relationship margin gives you opportunities. Um, scheduling margin. People, people say all the time to me, well, Brad, I don't want to bother you. Like, I know you're really busy. I know you're like crazy busy. And my answer is, you know what? I mean, I'm really not to be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on impact, but I, I've, I've, Renavigated my world to to create margin because Absolutely. that then allows me to actually say, "Hey, I'd love to do that podcast, or I'd love to come be at your thing, or I'd love to have thirty minutes that we can talk on the phone." And you know, that's it. I find that in a lot of really successful leaders, if you look at the way they have sort of regulated their world, they they have created lots of space. The higher you go up, the more space you have. When you're in the middle is when you're like really stressed out, you know, because you're getting squeezed from all sides. I totally agree with you. And I, and I think of even some of these podcasts, I'll get off and somebody else say, well, how was so-and-so? What were they really like? And nine out of 10 times, not every time, nine out of 10 times, never in a hurry. Right. They've never right. rushed me. Yeah. They've never said, okay, I got 15 minutes. Give me your best three questions and let's, let's move on. Never. That's never once happened. And they're always willing to pass it on what they've been blessed with because somebody helped pass it on for them. It's, it's almost universal, but I only interview faith leaders. 
which I think marks guys like you and and people like we've had the the blessing to sit down with some of the great leaders. But they're they're honored because somebody did it for them. They're glad to glad to take their experience and do it for somebody else. I would That's love great. to know this question. Um, we're getting ready to wrap up. You've you've seen lots of great leaders. We'll take Jesus as his own his own category. He's his own guy. He's the guy. Yeah. Hashtag best. Yeah. Hashtag best. We will definitely not, not say Jesus. My Liberty diploma would be revoked. All right. So we, we got that. We got that one out there. Who is a leader you've seen model those three things best that you've seen with your own eyes? Who's somebody you've come across? Who's somebody you've watched that you say their humility, their hungriness and their hustle is unmatched and why? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. And I would, I'll give you both one that is, is more, um, closer, but then also one that's further away. Um, you know, like, I mean, I saw it in, I saw it in, in, in John Maxwell and I, I'm not around John anymore, really, but I saw it, you know, for those few years that in the early two thousands, definitely, um, you know, I see it in my pastor now in Louis Giglio yeah. and, and I don't get a lot of time with Louis. I mean, we're not hanging out a lot, but I, you know, I see it in him, um, quite a bit, like, uh, the, you know, the, from the standpoint of, of, of leaders that I'm close to, I'm seeing it in a lot of young leaders mm-hmm. and a lot of young leaders. Now I'm watching and, uh, it's, I feel like this proud uncle or, you know, proud father or proud cousin or something grandfather, I guess, who, who knows, but just that sense of, um, I can, I can, uh, sense it. Even if I haven't seen it yet, I can sense it. Like I just met a, a, a young 27 year old at a conference in Orlando yesterday, Mike. And I mean, a, a guy named Sean O'Donohue, who's mm-hmm. on staff at a church in California and who knows if he ever listens to this, he might, but I mean, he, he came into my breakout session and immediately it was just like, I kind of locked on him and he, mm-hmm. he had his moleskin out. He's taking notes, asking really good questions, stayed afterwards, asked more good questions. Um, just had the spirit of like age three, I guess you could. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now I think because, because I know, I think what it, what it looks like, I can spot it. Um, and you know, I can name a bunch of other young leaders too, who over the last several years, like they're around me, they're really good question askers. Um, they, they're, they're willing to be self-aware. They're, they're constantly sort of discovering the way they're wired. Um, you know, they're, they're willing to work hard. I mean, they're, they're, they got the, they got that spirit of, of excellence and they're, they're, um, but, but I, I think in some ways it, uh, I almost feel like I, I should create like a, you know, like a club or something that you like the CrossFit, you know, CrossFit's yeah, got yeah. this like whole thing working now. They've got this movement of CrossFitters. And when you see a CrossFitter, if you are a CrossFitter, you automatically know, right? Like you knew as soon as you see somebody in the airport, you're like, Oh, CrossFitter done. Cause they just have the style. Yeah. They have this look. And so, I, you know, the, the age three, it's definitely, there, there's also a spiritual component to that. That is, I'm hungry for more of God. And mm, mm. You know, for me, that's, that's <laughs> that, that many, in many ways may be the, uh, you know, the trump card of this, this mindset of H3 is that there's this, this, uh, this deep spiritual hunger 
that um, that sort of is the lead story. There's a, a great verse in Acts. You know, it said David served his purpose in his generation and then he fell yes. asleep. Love that verse. Oh, my gosh. And, and to think God, it was God who wrote the tombstone, not, not, not his family. You know, it was God given the postscript on David's life. What do you think your purpose you were created for in your generation? Why do you think God put Brad Lominick on this earth for the seasons he's had you in? What would you say? Well, the, the phrase that I love to use um, is build a platform others can stand on. Like that, for me, that, that I want to be known for that. Um, and, I, and I also want to be known for, for raising up and, and releasing and, you know, giving, giving young leaders the opportunity to go further than me. But I, but I think that phrase, build a platform others can stand on is, is the, the motto, or at least what I, what I hope that, you know, when people describe me and, and that comes back to, you know, Brad, Brad's willing to stand in the shadows and that he's, he's willing to um, build something that then he allows his friends or people around him to be the hero on. And he doesn't need to stand in the spotlight and, and make sure people know that this is something that he was part of building. I hope you enjoyed that time with Brad. My goodness, man. He's a guy you need to follow. We've got links in the show notes to his blog, to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places you can track him down. If you've not read H3 Leadership, you need to, you need to get your hands on it. Well, in our next episode, we're not going to miss a beat. We get to sit down with one of the sharpest folks that's out in the marketplace right now, Miss Jenny Katrin. Jenny is an incredible leader. She served in the executive role at many churches across the country. She now runs a leadership organization that is just out there making a difference in leaders' lives, and you are going to enjoy her so much. We're going to spend some time talking about the four dimensions of extraordinary leadership. It's one of the most fascinating things that I have heard in a long time, and really one of the biggest spirit, best spiritual leadership breakdowns of anybody that I have been able to talk to and listen to in a long time. You are going to enjoy Jenny so much. Well, I appreciate so much you listening today. Make sure you go subscribe, be a part of this podcast. Uh, make sure it gets delivered to your inbox weekly. You know when it's coming out. And I pray that you go out today in this uncertain, crazy time world and be the leader that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.